All right, friends. Welcome back to episode nine of Cooking Up a Story with Aaron and Joe. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at uh, Bad Idea Supply. They've got a couple sister companies, uh, Proud Pyro, Steel Made USA, and uh, Fire Bee Honey, which they sell honey and beef jerky and all sorts of good stuff. But head on over to Bad Idea and check out everything that they have to offer. They've got I mean, fire pits from camping, fire pits. They've got griddles that they put over your oven. I mean, these are just some American-made quality products that that will not only give you something you love, but help support this podcast. So uh, head on over there. Use promo code at checkout, cooking, for 5% off. Wow, 5%. Do they give you muck tuck? Uh, that's special request order. Well, uh, Aaron, let me introduce you to our special guest who's actually in the studio with the broken air conditioner first guest in the studio feels good it feels really good and we got a broken ac so it feels like we're outside (laughs) or more comparable to being in like a a am radio station or an old tractor cutting hay in the summertime i'll introduce you to my buddy right here it's mr bill walker and uh we might convince him at the midway point to to try the muck tuck. Oh God, I don't want to do it to you. Bill, <laughs> Joe wants to do it to you. I'm not a fan. Bill, do you know about muck tuck? I'm a little bit in the dark. Right. Okay, so you probably need to listen to about episode number four. I yeah. think was the muck three tuck. or four Alaska episode. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Everybody seemed to like us eating <laughs> the muck tuck. It's uh, beluga whale fat, fresh from Alaska. So, with that being said, Bill Walker, please introduce yourself. Well, I've been introduced by name. I guess it's William G. Walker, if my father were being particular about it. But yeah. I was born in Helena, Arkansas. lived in Arkansas for all practical purposes all my life. And uh, it's been, uh, well, you know, I was coming home from a basketball game in Jonesboro with my dad. It was like ninth grade. And. I had this real good-looking English teacher, and she just turned us on to Rod McEwen, <laughs> the poet. And I was enamored. We'd even won that basketball game, and I'd read the forward to it, and he'd had about 50 different jobs and made it big as a poet at about 50 years old, and I thought that was about the coolest thing I ever heard of in my life. And yeah. So Dad stopped at the light and said, William, what do you propose to be when you grow up? I said, well, Dad... I'd like to have about 50 jobs, hit it big when I'm about 54, retire as a poet at 65. He said, oh, my God, and never asked me again. But he was a great lawyer, you know. He knew what he wanted to do when he was six years old. So How'd that work out? Well, it worked out real good, actually. Did you, did about you, nailed it on the head, didn't he? Yeah, about nailed it on the head. It wasn't like a plan. It was just a diversion tactic, you know, Yeah. not get Dad all up on me. <laughs> so I was, I was really interested in bringing Bill in because in all – the traveling that I do and, and the handshaking and baby shaking and, and and cooking for people. I meet unique people all the time. Uh, matter of fact, I'd feel odd if I didn't meet somebody at least once a week that I was interested in on their story. And so me and Bill have had conversation, whether it be in person or via text or whatever, uh, over the last several years. And he's got 
he's got everything from hippie stories to war stories, music, uh, of course, cooking. And, and we're going to hit up a, a lot of these stories. And, I, and they're probably going to be out of order. They're going to be a little bit crazy. Um, we're going to ride old Bill like a bicycle here and see, see how he handles down this road. What, what do you want to ask him first? I, the one, so Joe, as typical fashion, he sent me a list of questions that come, came to mind this morning some random time On thinking about Bill. And uh, one that came to mind and uh, that I thought the answer would be interesting from Bill is what makes a man? So, Bill, in your eyes, what makes a man? Well, I had a very good uh, example in my father yeah and he was born in 1910 and did miraculous things as a attorney in, in World War II the thing he liked to do the most was be apt at what he did give it his best shot and take time to go fishing and hunting yeah and I think that that would about wrap it up in simple terms that you have a vision and you do the best that you can and uh, take time out for yourself and your family and friends kind of from mm -hmm. time to time and do something you enjoy especially if it's out in in the in nature I mean just driving out here today in your studio is awesome yeah do you think uh, do you think and, and of course you'll tell them a little bit of history on your pops but do you think that the outdoors was was uh, another form of peace for your old man when he when he got back from the war? Well, absolutely. Uh, he was a farrier of English setters from about age eight until his last day. Mm -hmm. So I grew up outside of Jonesboro. He was like the Atticus Finch mm -hmm. for the state. And people went to him for advice, but he raised bird dogs. Oh. And we had, uh, you know, he's, I'm sure he spent every last penny he had when he first started kicking it in the 60s to be fully blown, a good lawyer and everything. And he bought 63 acres and built a house out there. And we had two or three horses and half a dozen bird dogs. And I have a Scotty when I grew up. And I think that right there, the base of that, if you want to talk about good fortune, I was right smack at dab in the middle of it, and the outdoors for him was was uh, his peace. And if there was an argument in the family, he could walk out in the back where the pond was dug and not do anything, or flip the boat over and fly fish, yeah, and you know catch a bass or a brim. So yeah, the outdoors was a key part of it, and I think that's a real good thing that people need to keep a hold of. There's four kids in our neighborhood that do it just like we did when we were there. Right? You know, yeah. I was, uh, I was, I think it was last weekend, I was talking to some people about these last six boys who've done these horrific acts, and I told them that if you would have gave me the opportunity to be around them boys a month ahead of time, six months ahead of time, I bet you we could have steered them kids in, in another direction than being being crazy. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good hope and there's it's just 
I was listening to a podcast this morning, and it's about getting those those people that have those thoughts. It's about there's got we've got to do the a better job at mental health in this country, in the world, of getting the people that are. I mean, those kids have got to be hurting inside to want to do dark things like that, and somehow bringing that to the forefront, giving them somebody that they can talk to or somebody that they can look up to and trust. I'm going to say that Bill, I'm going to say, and this and this is where my story went. Mm-hmm. My story went that if I was able to be there, just like say six months, a month, whatever, an hour probably wouldn't have done it. They were already committed. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was thinking about this and how it was, had a lot to do with us men and Bill's going to be an exception on this but a guy like me and and possibly like you Aaron that over the last 20 years there there has been so many good honest men ruined by accusations whether that be a football coach whether that be a school teacher whether that be a uh uh, a neighbor, whoever, Boy Scout instructor. Hell, I, I'll put everybody in there except a bunch of, of priests. And ma- ma- there's probably some really good priests involved, mm-hmm. too. But in saying that, there's been so many accusations against men on on young boys mm-hmm. that scared the shit out of me. And, and so from my standards in, in life, I've only held two kids in my whole life. One is my daughter, one is my son. I, I've never wanted to hold anybody else's kids. One, because I was scared of the soft spot on her head. I thought that that would break. <laughs> and, and the other is, is I just didn't want the responsibility of me being one of those guys where if, they, if you got pissed off at your ball coach because you sat on the bench mm-hmm. and you said, ball coach touched my pecker, if if you said that, mm-hmm. instantly, Bill, listen, instantly the ball coach is guilty. It, in the newspaper on forty on forty twenty nine on whatever he's mm-hmm. he's going to be guilty, and then six months down the road they go through trial the whole deal and it it was it was a lie. Mm-hmm. That guy's no longer the coach. Yeah, and I or has a job. Why I say that Bill's probably different on this than than I am is Bill would have been the type of guy whenever I was 10 years old that if I was going down the road and old Bill was standing out in the yard or whatever, I would come up, I'd talk to Bill. Bill would say, let me show you my fly rod. Or let's go shooting. Or or, let's go shooting. Mm -hmm. I had that shop teacher, you know, who I could, there was no questions asked about me going with my shop teacher out shooting. Mm -hmm. all of that stuff has come to a screeching halt. Men aren't taking time with young boys who aren't their own. And the boys who have committed these crimes, none of them have a man in their life who's a real man. Yeah. And by saying real man, I'm not putting a macho dude ahead of, of a dude who's not macho. Mm. I'm saying a guy who will say, this is what I did when I was a boy, and show them. Uh, show them how to keep it between the, the mayonnaise and the mustard. What do you think, Bill? Floodgates of thoughts come through. Yeah. Um, I go back to your show the other day when it kind of hit home for me was uh, you said that these people were uh, 
uh, arrogant. arrogant, arrogant, and that all, all of it started. Your friend Jamie, I think mm-hmm. Jamie said it all started when they took corporal punishment out of schools. Now I guarantee you, I came from the same father background that you did, and if I got it at school, I got it twice as bad at home. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, first time I ever got it was because I skipped, I, I kissed Debbie Price on the playground in third grade. What do you uh, think she looks like? You now? I saw her at the 50th high school reunion too. We talked about it. I showed her. I said I got a little wooden box at home. That still on the bottom of it says I love Debbie and has a heart. My wife understands yeah. <laughs> it was third grade but. so you know um back to the i got paddled with a ping pong paddle and you know it was just the the action and the discipline of it mm-hmm. and you mentioned you know boys especially need discipline i think you nailed it a hundred percent on the head and uh you know i don't get too deep into all that stuff but it's just a crying shame mm-hmm. and there's are things to do to your point of if you had been with him for six months i haven't experienced myself where it worked mm-hmm. in fayetteville i was the president of pride and dixon street which did autumn Fe- or spring fest and all that for a few years for and, the listeners who don't know about that that's filled with belly dancers and it is now but <laughs> back then it was a wholesome thing you know but anyway the crips came in and they were uh getting all the kids from high school to kind of get off the beaten path and there's one in particular and they got in some big trouble there were some bludgeonings there were some fire set there was some big thefts of of candy and cigarettes from the vendor uh warehouse and and it was terrible and this one kid this one kid that was like the caveat the connection between want to be a badass and and the rest of the kids and his name was splotch because he had a little white splotch on Mm -hmm. the top of his head almost like someone had bleached about a silver dollar size we call that a pie ball well there you go pie ball (laughs) splotch (laughs) he had three names (laughs) but anyway he was he was a good kid he just gotten ripped out of the thing and Mm -hmm. uh he got caught with one of them and we got to have a real good sit down with him being the president of the local uh community organization and the policeman and and his dad his dad was a professor in the english department in arkansas and he was just a mild-mannered guy he didn't have a finger or a hand on that kid in mm-hmm. any way of discipline whatsoever and he couldn't didn't know what to do anyway and we we gave him the, the what for we we asked him if he wanted to end up in in uh you know tucker or, or one of them in east arkansas mm-hmm. one of the prisons mm-hmm. and that He'd, he'd probably have to have him a shoestring on his butt yeah. by the time he got out of there being as good looking as he was and everything. Yeah. And that poor boy, God bless him, uh, he broke down in tears at that moment at the table and said he did not want to be a bad boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, so on that, we talked to, uh, you said discipline. Bill agreed with you on discipline. Is discipline fear? Well, that one was. Uh, well, I mean, it, it, so is discipline a deal to where you – you're casting fear. You have the fear that if you do the crime, you're going you're gonna to oh, get the whooping. Oh. I, I, and, and I think Respect is what I, it should be from yeah. get-go. And I, mean, I think it looks like fear. He was way beyond 
those yeah. nurturing moments mm-hmm. of discipline at right. that point. And he did come around. He wrote me one of the best letters I ever got in my life and thanked me for turning his life around. He went to University of Western Mississippi and graduated. Yeah. I mean, Michigan and graduated. So that's that story. And, and see, I think there's the fear aspect, but also, like Bill said, it's the respect. And you don't, you don't want to let your parents down. Like, no. you feel bad, and you don't want and, – and I think – some of that can stem from, I mean, what are, another thing that these kids and people that are doing a lot of the bad things is they're missing out on, you know, the love that they need from their fathers well, and that male figure. You got, that's, I mean, so I, I, I think that's just as important as anything. I, and I agree. But whenever I tell you that those six boys who did this stuff did not have a father. Yeah. And there's no uncle in the house mm-hmm. if you think about it the first person they whack is either their mother or their grandma whoever they're staying with mm-hmm. and bill this is one of those deals to where we're in a society right now where there's we're not supposed to judge people on male or female and we're being told that there's no such difference between male and female the person who's committing the act, that same gun is in the house of the woman or the girl, just like it's in the house of the boy. The same gun is. The girl isn't picking up that weapon and going out and committing these crimes. It's the boy. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about discipline, I think that, and I'm not the best at this by any means, but the discipline that I could give to my daughter is going to, because I, I know the difference between a boy and a girl, is going to be different than the discipline I'm going to do to my son. Mm-hmm. Like, I I could, I could discipline my daughter by words, and I could discipline my son by work and a whooping. And uh, I, I would say that the discipline for the men because it goes back to on a job site or on a football team Mm -hmm. when the coach calls you out to run around he's disciplining you he's the other guys are standing there not doing it he's making a gesture making you a uh, a a a hallmark of what's going to happen to the other guys Mm -hmm. and if he doesn't like it he can leave and those boys don't have it i just none of them do, Bill. They just... Well, you know, it's one thing to have discipline. It's another to have lifestyle and interaction. Mm-hmm. So back to your point about no man in the house or whatever, it's not just about them being whipped in the right direction of whatever that word whip means, you know, verbally or pointing out direction-wise or whatever. They don't have the interaction daily that gives that, uh, you know, that example. Yeah, and uh, the teacher's scared to give it to them now. Well, they can't give them anything for fear of uh, educational cross the lines, social cross the lines, verbiage mm-hmm. cross the lines. Oh, don't let, let's not challenge anybody to be the best. Uh, we don't. We can't have these advanced algebra classes in eighth grade. That is way too early. Let's make that eleventh grade. Forget calculus. God forbid anybody was smart enough to think of that. I mean, I got dyslexic so much that. Algebra was the first worst class I ever had in my life. I mean, you want to talk about flipping numbers and letters and things, yeah. try algebra. I mean, yeah. I've been told by people that are great 
mathematicians that I do it every day in my concepts of thought and applying them together. And then I say, well, damn the Iranians. They gave us algebra or the Arabs or whoever gave it to us, you know. But, I mean, we don't need that. We can figure it out with, with uh, eighth grade math or, for that matter, before algebra. But mm-hmm. fourth grade math is maybe fifth is about as far as I had to take it to figure out anything that we deal with every day in life anyway. I mean, how many stores, how many items, and... Yeah. How many units or oh, whatever? I mean, it's the end simple the- stuff, and they don't even have a dad around to to talk like that, you know. So, yeah. what is going on? I really did think about something. I really can't believe that we're not doing in this day age. And I thought of it this morning with clarity of thought, and it doesn't seem too far stretched. And that if you can know everything and see a minute later what they posted on Facebook, and people could find out what's up my ass through any other espionage tactics and ways that are available today why can't there be some kind of bipartisan effort to work together to get everybody to have a database gatherer of people that do stupid crap like that and then put it into some kind of computer programming that takes it straight to the local state county and city government office of disturbed child or individual and then figure out some kind of halfway house that's somewhere halfway between prison and free mm-hmm. you multiple, know and I, I mean you know call it call it what it is but i know it's too damn simple well but. so in current terms they'd call that a red flag law well in red flag laws are the thing that you're croaching on earlier that suck well, no, yeah, yeah. From so, my opinion, I mean, so, I don't know where we're different in any of this stuff we've talked about yet. No. But. <laughs> well, that's because I told I told a buddy of mine today. I said, you know, there is red, there is blue, and then there's the people in the middle that are white, and that's just because we have those three colors on our flag. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the white would be the majority of the thinking population would be in the middle, and if there was three parties, a red one, a white one, and a blue one. The one in the middle would be the most powerful, mm-hmm. but that's why you only got two parties. That's yeah. right. And, and I thought 65% of Republicans and Democrats, even in the current base of what we have, this was a few years ago, and said, you know, if they just got onto one thing and left the fringes, well, I mean, you know, we could have a, a buyback on weapons and let the let the Proud Boys and the other QAnons and the and we could have the Black Lives Matter and the Antifas all be in charge of collecting it inside of the New Orleans dome and be in charge of getting that stuff organized for us. <laughs> that would work out real good on that side. But the sixty five percent that aren't anything like that, you know. That, you bet. That, so but I didn't think it'd be Ukraine that brought them together. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, all right, so just to keep the listeners listening, because we Sorry. may have got a little nope. bit political there. How about that Arkansas bacon? Coorsies. So uh, a lot of people across the country don't know this, but there is pork bacon, there's beef bacon, there's lamb bacon. You can make bacon out of anything, and it's typically always coming from the belly. Uh, there is some lamb bacon made out of the breast. Where does Arkansas bacon come from? Well, I'm sure that's pork bellies. I mean, isn't that what they said in that movie, you know, pork bellies? Uh, but uh, that place has been open since 1943, I believe. And 
I swear they have the best bacon on the planet. It's hickory smoked. It's not over thick. Uh, I buy it by the 10 pounds when I go over there just and then share it with people or have it all year, but mm. it freezes well. But they also do tur smoked turkey and, and ham and cheeses. Uh, growing up, we used to always have one of their hams. And, you know, Petty Jean is hard to beat, but there is just something about Coorsie's Smokehouse Bacon. Coorsie's? Uh, it's in St. C O U R S E Y apostrophe S. Okay. It's in St. Joe, Arkansas, about 23 miles south of Beltane or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have any good stories about the Ozark Smokehouse? Oh, my God. I went to work for Frank Sharp at the Ozark Smokehouse. He dragged me out of the whiskey business and wine business the first time I got drugged out. And, uh, it was kind of me dragging myself out because I'd actually been to Dallas and worked for Glaciers, which is now Southern Glaciers, and I'd risen up through the done everything and worked for folks before that, so I would have experience. And then I was on the chart to be major management in Texas, and I had a four-year-old and a young wife that cried when I took her to Little Rock from Fayetteville. You can imagine what Dallas would have been like. She grew up in Fort Worth and ran the hell out of there at <laughs> University of Arkansas. And, you know, so Frank uh, offered me an opportunity, and I gave way on all new other opportunities and made a uh, exit stage right to northwest Arkansas. And I lived on his uh, place out in Farmington behind the smokehouse for three or four months. My wife said, I am not moving up till you find the house we're going to buy and move this kid and everything. You just camp out and figure it out. <laughs> and so, it was great. You know? So Ozark Smokehouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not familiar with it. Oh, okay, so. well, right now it's where Fayette Chill would be. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was the smokehouse itself. And Frank uh, was an engineer and went to, I think, University of Houston. I don't know, but he lived in Houston. And his dad was smoking turkeys and had a little mail-order business at Thanksgiving for a little mad money, you know. And Frank mm -hmm. said, to hell with it. I'm leaving engineering. I'm going to run this son of a gun. He opened up about 11 different smokehouses uh, around scenic routes. There was one in Bentonville, one on the Highway 71 South. And up by Mountainburg. Mountainburg. And they, he had one over in Harrison where there's a breakfast joint there now. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he had one in Little Rock in the Heights and when he hired me the craziest thing about it was after I got all this stuff kind of organized on the food service and mail order side of it because he was the kind of guy that you could tell him that'll cost you $100,000 and with bailing wire and duct tape and his own cutting the wood or whatever he'd get it done for 10 <laughs> yeah. I mean he was a get it done kind of guy yeah. so do you think I know we talked in the past you and I about this and he never wanted to get away from the catalog, right? The mail order deal. No, he never wanted to get away from that. Actually, my two assignments was, or well, three, was uh, working out of the store in Fayetteville on Dixon Street, which was a great place to raise a family. My wife got to be the gardener, and she was a school teacher by trade, but we had a four-year-old, and he got to learn to ride his bike all around the parking lots and everything. And we lived about six blocks away over in one of those old stone and rock houses, and on Davidson uh, and Park. It was the oldest subdivision in Fayetteville. Uh, so stone and rock built uh, houses and a really cool place. And we, I could walk to work if I wanted to. And um, 
it, it was just hard to beat. He had me on a mission to open a real live restaurant rather than a luncheon bar type place in Smokehouse in, in Little Rock. So I ended up spending about the next six months mostly in Little Rock where I just moved from. Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure logic out on that. But then uh, we catered the Razorback Stadium skyboxes uh, from there. And uh, he really loved his mail order. And we expanded that a great deal. We even had a chance at one point in time to uh, sell Arkansas smoke trout to Germany to, to probably guys that own Aldi's now, you know, or they owned it all right then, yeah. but, but that big chain. Mm-hmm. And he just was such a local guy and such a give everything to everybody. He, he just almost couldn't stand the likelihood of the success of that yeah. and said, no. No, I can't do it. So I, got, I can't do that. That's like getting commercial now. Well, and that's where I was kind of going with, with the story. I, I I know whenever the catalogs kind of dried up, that's not that's not really a thing anymore in in society. And about the same time, they stopped putting them them order forms out for Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. That's when the bottom kind of fell out of this deal, and it, it, it seemed to dry. It seemed to dry up. But could you imagine the success that a guy could have with that type of smokehouse, with online sales today? <coughs> well, if Frank were his own self, thirty years later or forty, uh, he'd be all over it. Uh, he would. I mean, we we used computers then. And, uh, and that was 1989. Yeah. And I was trying to put everything in on a lot of what he was getting done at the restaurant level, not mm-hmm. the smokehouse level. And and then also trying to help uh, expand the the catalog business, which it did then, uh, both those elements. And his distribution, he had a little bit of wholesale distribution. On the catalog, uh, did they have to did they have to mail in a form? I, be, I believe it was phone or mail. So think but, about how much you got to want to have something in today's time to first locate the catalog, mm-hmm. pull out the form, hand write it. I got the catalog right here in my hand. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's but, a phone. Put but a stamp if you, on it. But if you had to go and go through all this labor, go to the grocery store, buy that little roll of stamps, or go to the post office, get the roll mm. of stamps, lick it, that was that was pretty that was pretty uh, self adhesive. Put it on there, send it off, and hope that the postman took it to the place. Well, he would to have had a six-page handwritten with everyone's name involved description of that, and that would be the work order. Yeah. I mean, I reduced nineteen pages of his stuff to do Razorback Stadium skyboxes to four. Yeah. You know, with bullets and things, yeah. without all the personal. But he was he was just like that. He he took everything personally, and he was the first person that ever uh, taught me truly in business that every income stream has to operate off of its own success model, as opposed to any part of the other business funding any of its success. For even a minute. So if hmm. chicken wasn't cutting it, we're done the chicken. Right. Well, I mean, like if or you wouldn't supplement if, the chicken with the turkey. If one store isn't working, I'm not going to bleed off others ah, to, gotcha. to support it in the in the P and L. Yeah. Uh, he was really good. He, you know, he he 
<laughs> it's so funny. It was a DOS-based computers then there was no icons ever at all in that real world and you had to put dot doc or dot excel it wasn't excel at the mm-hmm. time it was something else but all of that on there and you you know remember to hit save jesus <laughs> one time his wife was sweeping through the office and knocked the plug out and i lost 19 pages <laughs> i was just about finished with <laughs> I, re- I think i took a computer class it was um freshman year of high school was the first time I ever actually put my fingers on a computer mm-hmm. and it was that paper bill you remember the paper with the holes all running oh, down yeah. the side absolutely you remember the smell of it it had a certain I mean that's kind of stupid guy yeah it's like a uh, paper dust smell or something <laughs> yeah, because it's like got the, all sorts of trimmings in the yeah, box and, and it's, it's pulling it's, them up in the air it smelled like a scantron yeah <laughs> Anyway, this is we, really interesting. We, we hit, no, it, it really is. This paper was just, there was huge boxes of paper. There was the computer. It was a black screen or maybe green screen with black writing or vice mm-hmm. versa. Mm-hmm. And someone taught me early on how I could hold down, like, the control button and copy. Because on the board, the chalkboard, real chalkboard. It would have like a sentence that we had to write, and we'd have to do it like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Pow! Copy, paste, mm-hmm. boom, hit it. I become a computer wizard just off of that one that one motion. What year was that? Uh, boom! That was late eighties. There you go. Same time frame. Uh, Frank was funny. He, he was putting me on the computer. We we I had computer work access stations that I had in management of liquor and wine before that and so i was used to working on stuff like that but i wasn't used to building these documents and things and he said well you just you just look at it like the like the computer's the tractor and you got these different tools and your 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 spreadsheet is your plow and you, you <laughs> yeah. know you got your but that was the way the guy looked at it he was great and, i uh <laughs> i've been i've been working lately around a bunch of the innovations retail um, going into some of these buildings that have the future of retail went into a building the other day and they had three mirrors and the mirrors were stood up kind of like a a wall right so one mirror in the center and two of them kind of 25 degree angles coming off the side you could take the clothing off of the rack wave it in front of the mirror this is no shit what I'm going to tell you. Wave it in front of the mirror, and the clothes will appear on your body. Whoa. Bill, you could walk down the makeup aisle, pick up a... Bo- I didn't do this. But Liar. Liar. you could pick up a bottle of makeup, wave it in front of the deal. It'll show you the makeup so you know what color if the color works for you. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. so I'm trying to think of what the well, advantages Well, back to your are. pride thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can go there with, with that yeah. and get all sorts of colors. This was right before that big event he went to a couple weeks ago. I, yeah. I can't even remember what event that was, Aaron. What was the momentary big gaze event or something? Boy, that's art. Art. That, was art. that was art down there. Yeah. Um, they have barbecue? Yeah. <laughs> No. Well, you know, on that same deal, I sent Aaron a thing the other day, and it had, uh, oh man, from Sweden, there was they're making a a vegan burger, 
and this vegan burger tastes like human. Need some ice, Bill? No. Oh, oh. well. No, I don't think so. So the vegan huh. burger tastes like human, and what I was trying to say in, in this little deal is, is who do you ask, did we get it close enough? Like, if I'm making a seasoning with you, Bill, and we're tasting this seasoning, and we're going for sweet and spicy, I can let Aaron taste it, and I say, is that sweet and spicy? And he'll say, it's damn sure sweet and spicy. Mm -hmm. If I hand Aaron this hamburger that tastes like human, how is he going to know it tastes like human unless he bit his lip real hard? <laughs> well, that's, that's really a esoteric kind of approach to uh, marketing. This <laughs> vegan restaurant has a sandwich that tastes like human. Do you know why they would do this, right? So this would be the anti-eating meat part. That if you could eat another oh. animal, if you could eat another animal oh. and the human would be an animal, why not just eat a hamburger that tastes like human? Human. human. Well, that's a bad logic. I like humidors. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got on the list? Uh, Give us something funny. We need to let's make go, people laugh. Yeah, let's go to the old hippie compared to new hippie and hipsters. Well, okay. Joe tells me you, he's, he claims you're an old hippie. Well, I f it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> you, you fell into now, it. My, my brother, he, he's more, more of a Marine type. He, uh, he'd had a tough time during the, you know, like one of those Belushi movies, you know, in the mm -hmm. fraternity house. And he lived it. They came and took them as an example. And I think it was after his uh, three universities and three DWIs. Yeah that the judge had mentioned that he had two options and one of them was military and one of them was uh, bars. Yeah, and he kind of thought the military was looking up. Yeah. And he went to the Marines. I'm quite proud of him. He's a fine individual. Uh, but he threw me his, he was six years older than me, five, six, yeah. depending on what month was. He threw me his driver's license, which he was 21, and says, here, see if you can fuck up as bad as I did. He <laughs> was a real inspiration to me. Yeah. How'd you, you know, do? I did real good. I started, uh, I started uh, bootlegging beer to the seniors my sophomore year because, oh. you know, we were only 20 miles from the liquor store that nobody went to in our county line county because it was the farthest county line away. Uh -huh. and they didn't even card me when I walked in. Yeah, I mean, so boy, don't that suck? So like, you know, I mean, oh man, I'm ready, I'm ready. It didn't bother me one bit. I went, hmm, cool. But yeah. they didn't have pictures on them then anyway. I'd gotten a hunt. The ID didn't have a picture on it. No, man, I got a hunting license. This is pre-pictures. This is not plastic. <laughs> this is paper. This looks like you know, like your shirt, but paper. Yeah, kind of, kind of khaki looking, and and I got a hunting license with the same name and sh shit on it, so I'd have two IDs and and. One day the game warden was out there when we were shooting uh, lots of doves, mm -hmm. and I, my father didn't raise totally idiots, so we would take our over-the-limits home and come back and shoot some more, or at least one person would run away. I'd just gotten through that, and we all looked like we'd been shooting for days. Yeah. <laughs> we had one dove on us, and the game warden came up. He says, let me see your license and i had had a date with his daughter the night before oh. my name is bill oh but this didn't say bill on that driver's license he goes oh well david uh -huh. shot any doves today i said got one mm. he says one i said yeah 
Kimberl and Kraft were with me. I said, you guys got any? He said, no. And then two flew by, and both of them shot one. They landed right at our feet. You know, you so know, you know, they, did, you know that's how I fell into that whole getting to going to be a hippie. You know, I got past the duck hunting. I mean, I didn't ever get past duck hunting even as a hippie but or bird hunting. But yeah, I did have this friend that went to church with us that lived over on Highland in Memphis. And she was my sister's age. And Ledbetter and I decided we wanted to find out what this getting stoned was all about. Oh. And uh, we, she said, you just come on over here. We went over there. We we're going to get some marijuana. Yeah. You know, 60 mile drive back. God, you know what's going to go on. <laughs> we better check it out. And we got up there and she said, well, you know, I don't have any marijuana, but I've got some hash and some mescaline. Oh, well, that took it to a whole new level right there before I'd even gotten started. Yeah. She said, just hash is a lot like marijuana, but don't do that mescaline until the weekend. So that's kind of where that weekend warrior thing comes in. What is mescaline? Well, technically it's from peyote cactus, and it's what the Indians would do. And then Carlos Castaneda would run around and piss on the dog and not know what was going on mm-hmm. in his book. You know, So it was a hallucinogen. Uh, it's a hallucinogen, yeah. And uh, not like near a- as... Uh, off the chart is LSD. Yeah. I mean, that's like grab hold the fireworks and take off on the rocket. But. Yeah. You don't, you boys don't know how interested I am in hearing. Aaron, you've probably dealt with that crap, haven't you? Uh, what crap? <laughs> Something that made you see puff the magic dragon. Or yeah. <laughs> lizard crawling down your arm. Allegedly. So, uh, Bill, I'm going to tell you, so that whiskey on the table and that can of Copenhagen is short of whenever I got my uh, can't have baby surgery. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest drug I'd I'd ever done, and it was like oxy or cotton or whatever they call that deal. Yeah. I've never, I've been drunk a few times. Mm-hmm. All three of our listeners probably have been around me when it's happened. Yeah. But this getting stoned and seeing things crawling and all of that, now I've studied it, Bill. Okay, what do you know? Well, I, I've, <laughs> I've studied it, and I know that there, you know, from what I'm, what I'm hearing, it's a good reset for, like, PTSD. It I, could easily I, be a good reset. It certainly didn't harm my... Other factors. You didn't reset. But see, I've heard like, you know, some of these guys they got they get a tour guide, right? It's their their uh shaman or something like that. Shaman. Yeah. It could happen, I guess. You know, in in the seventies it was hell, I I was the luckiest guy in the world. I had the best civics teacher. I had uh current events my senior year with Bill Walker same namesake but he was represented and head of that education department for years. He was like twenty two when he was teaching me i was hell 18 and we got to see a lot of good stuff but in roscoe brown's civics class in ninth grade <laughs> he was a representative from northeast arkansas and he uh, he got us marijuana madness to watch you know the filming uh, they were saying everything from marijuana to heroin was exactly oh, the same reefer madness it was reefer thank you yeah. reefer madness you've watched this yeah i've seen clips it's hilarious i mean we watched it in ninth grade civics class and we knew that was a lie yeah and we knew we didn't want to be any of them yeah and we knew we were not going to be any of them but you know that's 1968 or 69 mm-hmm. oh man and vietnam's going on strong my brother's getting ready to throw me his driver's license in a year yeah and and 
bullshit is being called on every level at every place. I mean, yeah. it is a shame that we had to all be such hippies. Yeah. Because I do think my brother and father had uh, military perspectives of all things in life were a much more grounded way to get to somewhere and carry a lot of stuff with it than the way I eventually loop back around and mm -hmm. and what luckily, year did it become illegal marijuana i don't know i know that um mescaline and peyote i mean peyote and uh psilocybin were not illegal in arkansas during mm -hmm. the 70s okay uh, so they just didn't know yeah so was were these drugs that they didn't know about were they what made them illegal well, what made them illegal originally in the, <clears throat> I think Jefferson Davis wrote a letter about it, which is one of the only things I read by him that sounded reasonable, uh, about uh, that the next thing you knew, the government was going to take away their hemp. Yeah. You know, and, and it came down to uh, fuel, uh, materials. Paper and uh, yeah, cloth. And cloth and, mm -hmm. and capabilities of making damn near anything in the world out of hemp. And I think, that, from yeah, what I understand. and One of the biggest lobbyists was the guy that created the printing press. And then the cigarette. To get rid of hemp. The cigarette tobacco because, industry came in and, and that kaposhed mm -hmm. the rest of it pretty mm -hmm. good. What's the printing press store? So the guy that created the printing press, I can't remember his name, but he, you know. Had William Print. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but he created it, and it wouldn't run hemp fibers, and so instead of creating a machine that would, he lobbied against it to get it illegal. There was any number of things that went along. There were down a lot there. of things that were against against it. I mean, it's a very versatile. Someone plant. swears to God, and I think I even saw a picture. Not you know, but believe what you believe that that Henry Ford made a car out of hemp once. I, you know, just to. Just to do it. You well, know. yeah. I read today because I may not smoke any weed, but I've got some stock in it. Yeah, good. And well, because I just got to you know match the hatch on this fly fishing deal and, and stock. <laughs> but I so I've got some some marijuana stock, and I was reading today that it was either the World Health Organization or the UN or somebody had wrote a document about the bad health effects with the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. Now, I know that Willie Nelson played in, in Rogers two weeks ago, and that's the most dope-smoking son of a bitch I think I yeah. think there's Probably ever so. been. Ever been. So. I mean, he's been a He's been able to uh, publicize it longer and, and yeah. longer and longer than probably any one of his. You ever been around Willie? I've been around a lot of folks that uh, – I've been to one of Willie's picnics in, in uh, Texas down outside of Austin and hung out with the Los Gonzo band uh, from the 70s till to now. Mm -hmm. Is that kinky? No, that, well, I, I, God, I had a great kinky Friedman experience. I was staying at Gary P. Nunn's house, and Gary, P. Gary Nunn P. Nunn was the head of, was one of the three main members of the Los Gonzo Band, which was about six or seven at one point, and they're back to four now, and they're making more splash than they have in their life because a great guy brought them back together, and they're playing some of the best stuff from Nashville to Green Hall to... Mm -hmm everywhere you can think now, of and just gary p gary passed p. away no i gary thought he p. just passed away no no uh 
Ronnie Hawkins just passed away. But if you're telling me Gary P. Nunn just passed away, I'm going to have to leave and go out there and shoot myself. No, no, I'm just kidding. I talked to Gary not long ago. Oh, but, really? But he and I are good friends. I, he put us under his, his wing, we, the band, in the 70s. And he was, you know, the kind of the ringleader of the Los Gonzo band. It was Jerry Jeff Walker and the Los Gonzo band. Love. I got a Jerry Jeff poster right over there in the corner it's real it's a black and white thing yeah. up there and, and he they were also playing for michael murphy he, he didn't have a martin in his name he then. wasn't a cowboy he then. was just a michael no he was he was kind of a he looked like an arizona cowboy with a feather in his hair and you know but then there was bobby bridger and bobby bridger was involved with him he wrote a lot of songs for him and he's the great great grandson of, of james bridger the the frontiersman he's a dear friend he's involved with the Native American, uh, well, was it MOA, uh, Museum of Native American History up here. But mm. to your point of, of the music and Willie and all those guys, they're all thick as thieves. Willie pre- sang a song, of, a couple of songs of Gary's, and it's like this is the house that Willie built. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> Gary always surrounded himself with great songwriters, up-and-comers, that he would love to do one of their songs. So it gave him kind of a different persona than everyone else that just wanted to do their song mm-hmm. and he he did songs uh of a friend of mine that was the greatest songwriter I ever met in my life frank wood and he was born in houston and raised in paragool arkansas and uh one summer in 1973 the big flood and everything before it was before the 4th of July. It had to be. I met him. He was going to open for Foghat oh, at the big arena, the, yeah. the big arena in Little Rock. Was it War Memorial? No, that's the that's the football field. But anyway, out by the fairground, and uh, he was just a young guy from Fayetteville, long hair. He'd gone to uh, A State, and and he was wearing uh, magic, you know, like wizard pants. Uh, <laughs> uh, they were. Levi's with things embroidered on them and some mm-hmm. leather stuff on it that was all w- w- tooled and he had on a red bandana and was sitting on the ground outside the back of the stadium and the Col- Coliseum and I sat down beside him and he was playing a few songs out there I could care less about Foghat I wanted to listen to Frank Wood yeah. and he, I found seven four-leaf clovers <laughs> swear swear where i sat yeah. and i got a hundred of his songs i dug out of the archives after he passed away six years ago but uh they're great songs and you know uh no well let's talk about the, the seven four so, leaf but, but you know when you find seven four leaf flowers really you need to smoke a joint <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it gets back to willie because he would have approved but. that's awesome yeah i'm not kidding you frank wood uh, i've got two screenplays that he wrote R- richard watts helped him write one i'm sure you, mm-hmm. you yeah, met yeah. richard yeah. and he's he and i've been uh outlaws and in, in legal crime for years and uh, so gary p nunn was from oak mogey wasn't he? No, he's from Hannah, Oklahoma. Hannah. Just outside of Henrietta. When you get to yeah, Hannah, so, yeah, the, the so. pavement stops and the gravel goes in three directions. So honest. My one of the legends in my life is and and my daughter knows is Richard Carter and, and he's uh 
He's out of Dewar, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. That's the Dewar Dragons, Bill, if you're not familiar. I'm not quite familiar with Dewar. Just outside of the glass factory in Henrietta. Has that got to do anything with that monk? Mud thing you were talking the muck about. The muck tuck. We're going to break out oh, the muck tuck here. Right, a little bit, it doesn't have anything to do with Dewar, Oklahoma, though. No, but okay. but Richard was um, Troy Aikman's principal. Troy Aikman, no the, shit. the football player. Discipline. Yeah. We're back to discipline. <laughs> <laughs> so he, this is complete sidebar, and we're getting back. But when I was a kid, that TX whiskey's good stuff, Bill. Yeah. Go ahead. When I was a kid, Richard Carter had – a straightened out coat hanger next to the the kitchen table this is this is no shit this is one of those stories right yeah, here. i had a roadside uh <laughs> never mind, never mind. All right, so this is this is one of those stories that, that's why people pay big bucks to listen to this richard would have to chew his food approximately 26 chews each time he bit into something holy shit because he was born with a real small throat <laughs> this is no shit what i'm telling you now if if miss irma his wife had cooked something that was real good and got him real excited hey he may have done screwed up and only chewed 20 <laughs> mm. he'd have to grab the straightened out coat hanger look like that rabbit fingers no he oh, looked like he God. was loading a musket he would take the coat hanger and force the coat down, just like he was loading an, an, an old thirty caliber rifle. And then he would, after he'd get that thing cocked and loaded with the coat hanger, he'd put the coat hanger back in the corner and commence on eating some more groceries. <laughs> he just push it down. Bill, back it in. I, I was a small boy. I remember being in there. They had a five-gallon bucket of lard next to the oven, the stove. It didn't matter what we were eating. You were going to get an ice cream scoop or two of that lard inside (laughs) that black iron pot, and they were going to cook something. There is history, my personal history, that says that Richard Carter was putting big spoon, like soups, like uh, gravy spoons Mm -hmm. of okra up on that high chair, and he told my mom, that boy, that boy really loves that okra. Now, every time he'd go over to eat whatever the hell he was eating, I was uh, scooping that shit onto the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never been a boiled okra guy my whole damn life. But that's Richard <clears throat> Carter from the same same area over there. I've got a lot well, of kinfolk from that. You know, uh, as far as okra goes, you got in my it. opinion, there's only two purposes for it. What is it? The Think- last thing to put in some great gumbo and fry it. Right, Chris, I, I like it. Not Chris. not Millie and not you don't soft. have to batter it even. Just oh, I, I, either way. Yeah, I imagine my wife could roast it. Christina can do anything with roasted oh, vegetables. Well, I'm going to give you since obviously this is something with all of your splendor of life that you haven't figured out yet. I'm going to tell you that when you slice that okra, you put it in a dry pan that's hot. And you're going to cauterize all of that nasty stuff. The stuff, the jelly that comes out, Mm -hmm. the slime. It'll cauterize it. And then you put it up in your gumbo. Deal. Okay, so the, the point of the, first of all, gumbo means 
okra. There you yeah. have it. News to me. Gumbo I think anything and anything from Louisiana, like you know, uh, oysters, Rockefeller. Well, name it after someone good, but through the four greens we had in the backyard. <laughs> That's all we got. So the Africans brought the okra to Louisiana, hmm. and they used it as a thickener because that slime would plump. Hey, you can make just a straight gumbo soup, and all it is is like eating aloe vera. I mean, it's just straight slime. So what I, I'm suggesting to the three listeners mm-hmm. – Matter of fact, some guy sent us a message. You mean they can listen to this live? No, no, no. no, no. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> but we do not edit. So, uh, <laughs> very limited edit. One, one, we got a new listener. A guy sent me a deal. He says, I'm number four. Nice. And uh, we appreciate so, a guy number four. So, Gary Peanut. Right. We've got a local band here in Northwest Arkansas, the Reeves Brothers. They're a honky tonk band. And they went down, I'm going to say last fall. They went down and cut a song with Gary P. Nunn. Good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I wonder where they cut it, just out of curiosity. And Gary is one of the greatest people in the world that will open his door and record with or even carry on recording songs. I mean, who, who are these folks? Uh, it's, uh, they're out of Gravit, young boys, the Reeves brothers. They're dad was a honky-tonk guy back in the day throughout the 60s and 70s um they're a retro honky-tonk band As a matter of fact they've well, got i want to see them well you might have you might have an opportunity where because i'm going to try to bring them around but they had they play an old mullen steel guitar on there yeah they uh they wear the big old honky-tonk hats come to find out the majority of them hats from the 60s are like a six and seven eights and through good diet and, and proper protein. Our head size is now around seven and three eighths. Aaron, what size hat do you That's wear? That's my size. I think I'm around seven, there. Three I'm pretty big head. I got a big dog. I pulled these things out quite a bit. Who the last person? Was. <laughs> Maybe it's your daughter that had this on. <laughs> well, anyway, it was really wild. Uh, uh, Gary P. Nunn was living with a beautiful, beautiful lady, Miss Farrar, and. She had four sisters, and they all lived in Austin, and they remained great friends and everything. He wasn't married to her, and uh, she decided to pack up and move to Arkansas. And all the sisters moved to Eureka Springs. Now, Pat Farrar married a, a doctor over there. He was a real good friend of a, of, of a guy in our band, the David Wright's original home band. Mm-hmm. I still don't know who David Wright was. <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> Frank liked it. He wrote all the songs, so that was good with us. But we were called the home band. I mean, we got some bad introductions before, you know, making us out sound like, you know, something worse. But anyway, those four sisters, they married the ba- I'm our bass player's good friend from medical school. They married... Two of the guys in the band, we only had a four-piece band. So we were, like, hooked up with this set of beautiful Texas ladies that moved from Austin, Texas in 1974 Mm. or three, four to Eureka Springs. I mean, how 
wild and hip as that. Y'all were the consider. Partridge family we long were, before that was cool. Man, I was cool because I didn't have to marry any of them, didn't date any of them, but <laughs> we had access like nobody's business. Yeah. I mean, so when it came to Jerry Jeff Walker and opening was those Ozark Mountain Daredevils at, at the Fayetteville what are Barnhill at the yeah, time, yeah. Uh, we had backstage passes. I mean, we had just gotten plugged in because mm-hmm. of the two hip guys that were in Eureka already dating these yeah. guys, and these girls. So smoking hot and, chicks. And here we were in the back sta- backstage, and then the deal was with the Los Gonzo band and with Jerry Jeff Walker was Jerry Jeff was on his own thing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what the fuck between now and the next show? Right. And we, we I ended up getting them some gigs over the time when they're waiting on the next show like they were mm-hmm. going to play in Little Rock. So I got them a gig at the Gumbo Yaya's or whatever it was at the time. And they played Unplugged, the three Gonzo guys, uh, before Unplugged was Unplugged. Yeah. And they were loving it because they get 750 in cash, you know, for yeah. that. And, and they'd wait around for months to get their pay from mm-hmm. the... The, the machine and so it was just the access is nine tenths mm-hmm. of possession and and we we got underneath the wing of of the austin music scene now. you're drinking that high dollar whiskey when i've got the wise men well, over there mine seems to be <laughs> shame on me <laughs> well we got the we i i think the wise man's the a wise good way to go good. rather than that 400 dollars yeah. whiskey i ain't touching that uh-uh. <laughs> did you even taste it no, but no, I should. No, pour, pour you a okay. little lick of that. Well, and then we'll talk a little twist bit. Twist my arm. Yeah, I hear you. We'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about Jerry Jeff Walker. Oh, God, have I got a great Jerry I would Jeff love story. to hear stories about Jerry Jeff oh. Walker. I mean, we'll, All right. regardless yeah. if it's the L.A. freeway or pissing on his uh, friends or having a redneck mother or all. This one of, has something to do with Frank Brawls. Oh, no kidding. I think we might be. This might be the one to get us over the top. Let's go. But, uh, <laughs> let me, I'll just, we'll just cut everything. I'll just tell you that Jerry Jeff's actually got like a Caribbean style album. That, I've been to his place down there where they throw parties in Belize, and it used to be right. Jerry Jeff's, but then it became Gary P. Nunn's, and it's called uh, what is it, Christina? Help me. Viva Terra Lingua? No, it's... Oh, anyway, it's it's in Belize. So the album is all about Belize, the Jerry Jeff album. And uh, it's, in my opinion, it's probably the first country album outside of of maybe something the, the King of the Parrot Heads had started. But go ahead. If, if it relaxes you. It's tobacco. Uh, okay. <laughs> Smoke the tobacco. <laughs> I roll my own. <laughs> but Jerry Jeff's album on the Caribbean beat, you may pull him some slack. Here. He's Sorry, getting relaxed man. drinking that $400 bourbon. Yeah. I didn't even just taste it. Oh, you push that cord. <laughs> is, is one of the, it, I mean, it's like a Jimmy Buffett style lick. And then in modern times, well, then you had the Bellamy Brothers. They kind of played a little Caribbean beat. I'm not opposed to it, but that Kenny Chesney, I ain't got no business with him. I'm just going to tell you, he he is he's bad for traditional country music. Nashville is bad for traditional country music. <laughs> 100%. 100% right. But you take those original Texas guys who were changing changing the way a wheel rolled down the street. You take the Jerry Jeffs, you take the Gary P. Nunn, you take 
uh, Robert Earl King. Mm. Absolutely. I'll take Austin, Texas music from the day it started and 270s over the 80s any day of the world. I, if you think about what that formed today, is that was that was the little bitty rock that was rolling down the hill that turned into the boulder of red dirt music that everybody wants to hear because red dirt music is is uh it doesn't divide you amongst amongst the parties you could like rock and roll you could like whatever and you could listen to this red dirt music yeah. um and gary p nunn jerry jeff walker uh robert earl Keane, all of those guys kind of were the catalyst on it let's hear some dirt on jerry jeff walker well let me start with uh access is nine tenths of possession i read that someplace and uh, <laughs> you know i know possession is nine tenths of the law unfortunately uh, i didn't push that envelope as far as it could have been back in the day but there was a time period when there was a lot of cocaine coming up from central and south america i think it had something to do with mina and bill clinton's cash fund to run for president and, <laughs> I, I think you're and, right <laughs> uh, maybe maybe a few little drop off areas out in carroll county with a, maybe madison county and ralph cares i mean I'm, there was some money growing trees and you know you just never knew oh god the bond daddies and the kind of automobiles that were running around the street in that, that period of time yeah. in little rock well jerry jeff and the los gonzo man i can't remember who was opening i probably missed it because I was backstage, it was like we were—we couldn't believe we were snorting cocaine in Frank Broyles' locker room. <laughs> you probably weren't the only ones to snort cocaine in Frank Broyles' locker room. Well, this—it may be true, it may be true, but we took great, great privilege in it. That would be white privilege. We <laughs> snorted it <laughs> right up your nose. You know, I mean, Bill Bill Clinton took advantage of some of that. I mean, he may not ever inhale, but he made a noise like a Hoover I, vacuum cleaner. I don't think, yeah, I don't think they ever questioned cocaine. him on the cocaine. I, I did his line of cocaine one day. I'll tell you Bill that Clinton story. Cocaine? I did. I'll tell you that before, Jerry, Jeff, if you want to hear it. Yeah, I'd love to hear I, about okay, it. Okay, there was this place called stories. Gumbo Yaya's on Cavanaugh in Fayetteville. I mean, in Little Rock, Cavanaugh Boulevard. And it was owned by several people that remained nameless. <laughs> anyway, the bar was adjacent to the restaurant, restaurant, and it would service the restaurant at noon, and my buddy worked there. And he, I was going to go by and pick him up. We are going to do something. And it was about, you know, 140, 2 o'clock right before he gets finished in the restaurant. I went in the bar, and the bartender's still there. And while I'm sitting at the bar shooting the breeze with him, the limo pulls up out front. Mm. with the state police car behind it okay in walks bill now i've known bill for a long time because he went to all the bar association place things down at the arlington hotel my dad was a lawyer we were always there he danced with my sister you know he told her he wanted to be president here he comes in the bar sits down we shoot the shit and he remembers everybody. Is he so, president at this time? No, he's governor. Okay, he's governor. okay. And I remember the first argument my dad and I ever had was because dad represented the farmers with the Cash River that wanted to just make that thing flow some water down and not flood their rice fields and sh shit. But mm -hmm. it was a scenic, beautiful river. And 
he was the start of the EPA's attorney general, and that got us in. That's another story. But first argument that my dad and I ever had, because you know that beautiful free flowing stream, uh, Cash River, and oh, yeah. farmers wanted to have like fields they could work with, and but dad lost that case, and he was bitching about the EPA because the book was like a foot and a half tall, mm-hmm. and he's never been. He was never a big fan of its limitations on due process of freedom, but. Anyway, <laughs> Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton comes in. into the bar. He picks up on who I am and everything with some of that history, and we're shooting the breeze. And, and this is the kind of bar where you had to go through the swinging door to go back to the behind the bar and the little storage area to get to the men's room. Mm-hmm. And the men's room was one of those look up and pull the handle down. There's a little water tank yep. up at the ceiling. And we I, call those real nice places. Yeah, they were nice. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I said, I got to go to the bathroom. I go in there. I'll make this quick. Okay, I look up while I'm walking Larry the Lizard, and, and there's a plate <laughs> hanging out on top of the <laughs> the porcelain. I went, hmm. I reached up, grab it, and had two lines of cocaine and a little straw. I went, how handy. <laughs> Looked over in the mirror, it was real close, you know, small bathroom. Wiped off my nose, put the plate back up with the straw neatly, went back out to the bar. Whoa. You took somebody's shit. Maybe I did. I was sitting there yeah. shooting the breeze with Bill again. He said, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> he came out And he came off. out looking like one of those cats with ears and things <laughs> and eyes going this every which direction. This is all pre-vegan Bill Clinton. Oh, man. He was, I was vegan. That's made from a plant. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, the straw was plastic, though. So <laughs> that was killing turtles. Pre, uh, pre-carbon pre-paper, unit. <laughs> paper, st- paper straw is the worst shit ever. So, anyway. I, uh, there's three people there all know what went down no one will say a word but I always consider I just kind of saved my governor you did both sacrifice well there's two sides of your nose and it was the 80s <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like a sharing moment but he put I, two I, up I there just in case I've never seen him again since but I've always wanted to <laughs> but anyway, that's way too much. I don't know. That's Is this awesome. stuff censored? No, we we've got four listeners. Statute limitations yeah. over. Bill won't oh, get in yeah. trouble with it. No, but yeah. you didn't ever come to my house because <laughs> <laughs> some bitches have been known to accidentally suicide some people from time to time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, we we're recording this right now just outside of Waco, Texas. Right, right. You know, just almost to George Bush's house, yeah, just past the school there. You yeah, know? and that's another son bitch who can suicide some people if he wants to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, or Crawford, crash an airplane. Texas, yeah. is that, yeah, we were talking about. So, all right, Jerry Jeff. Yep. So Jerry Jeff was down there in Frank Broyles' locker room and. And I had this little bitty vial of cocaine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be cool. I got a little bitty, little bitty spoon, you know, like hang from your neck, little mm-hmm. thing, you know, silver. And I said, hey, Jerry Jeff, you want some, you want pup? Yeah, he said, oh, yeah. He pulls his own thing out <laughs> that looked like a straw with a cup on the end of it. Barely fit in my deal. All the way to the bottom. Pulls it out. Shit falling on the side. <laughs> 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 I'm going, that's a hundred dollars. Anyway, he pulls out a pimento jar. Oh, you know, they're four and a half ounces or three and a half or something. And it is full. And he puts one down there and says, you want one too? I went, 
hell yeah. <laughs> That's half of what I lost right there. <laughs> that nice. night, that night, honest to God, he forgot the line, the words to Mr. Bojangles <laughs> on stage. And the Gonzos had to sing him out of it. I mean, that's his money yeah, uh, yeah. hat yeah, hanging song. That, I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. did that song. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, Bill, and, and Flip Wilson did that song. Yeah, but you're forgetting the greatest who did that song. That was the Nitty Gritty Dirt Man. Oh well, they made Jerry Jeff a man alive. You bet. I mean, he could tell every lie he wants to about meeting Mister Bojangles in the damn jail, jail cell he wants, but nobody knows if it's the truth. But I gave him all the cred. He was a great songwriter. He gave uh, the Gonzo Band a little grief. I mean, they were in there recording, and he would stop by. He's from New York. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, not, he's not from New case. York City. Right. He's from Upper State, New York. But he he said, "Man, you guys, all you're talking about is Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy." He says, "I write some good songs too. How about you play with me?" So at the time, they were playing with both of them, and Michael was. Uh, what was, what was. Michael Martin Murphy singing back then that was hot. Uh, Geronimo's Cadillac gotcha. was was the one that that kind of busted the deal. And Bobby, I mean Bob Livingston, plays the best version of that ever in the world. He's a multi talented, <clears throat> incredible artist. See, I, come up here several times, played bass for them, but he can play any. I dug. Michael Martin Murphy whenever he become a buckaroo. Hello, and, buckaroo. And when he become a buckaroo, that was in my buckaroo time period of life where I was, you know, tucking my pants into my boots and had a, a bandana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Michael Martin Murphy was one of those guys who was singing the traditional cowboy music. Right. He, he was so, so talented and good there's not a bad word ever said about either one of those guys i mean now granted they called jerry jeff jackie jack in the band why was that <laughs> because he's always jacked up yeah. <laughs> 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 on something or whatever they just nicknamed him jackie jack but uh quite quite a incredible time frame when those guys apparently Moved from L.A. They were successful studio musicians uh, in L.A. And, Did you and know Skinny Dennis? I never knew Skinny Dennis. Is that was that right on L.A. Freeway? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was from L.A., but I was hanging out with him when they left L.A. because of an earthquake, mm-hmm. and they thought, let's go back to Austin and get some people together, and make a music scene. Because the boy, ground was shaking. Yeah, yeah. So get the hell out of here. <laughs> Where's a <her> cow? <laughs> but it was. Uh, it's still it's still incredible uh you know i didn't hang out with waylon and willie and those guys but i hung out with the guys that were supporting their music and followed right in their path and billy joe schaefer uh, i met billy joe schaefer for sure yeah i remember one of the coolest things i ever heard him say uh he was playing in fayetteville at the uh down on dixon at street the, at uh the majestic yeah, George's Majestic. Yeah, I, that's where I, I got married. It. First time I ever got married. First marriage ever there. But that wasn't my dear sweet wife Christina, and she doesn't mind. I seen, <laughs> I seen the Waco from Waco himself, the same guy. Yeah, I seen him there at the Majestic Lounge myself. I went in. Uh, he said uh, somebody took him in Nashville in to see uh, Alabama the band. He listened to him for a minute. And said. 
That ain't country. That's just bad rock and roll. Oh, I, <laughs> I think he nailed it personally oh, yeah. myself. But well, you, you back know, to our Nashville slams. Well, but. you know, he was a guy that wrote the majority of Waylon Jennings' songs, and actually, Waylon owned owed him. Just, uh, I think Van Zant and those guys uh, that that whole big group of that part of Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Robert Earl King earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, Robert Earl King had a story that when they were shutting down the Armadillo headquarters, Armadillo headquarters in Austin, mm-hmm. it was a beautiful dome place where all the ha- happening stuff was going on. I mean, it was a huge music venue. And they were going to tear it down. And Robert Earl King tells a story. Uh, he got up on the big uh, billboard sign up there. There's a freaking platform, and he mm-hmm. was up, camped out up there protesting. And uh, and uh, what's Joe? Uh, Billy Joe. Billy Shaver. Joe Shaver uh, climbed up like the second day or something, sometime into it, and it was hotter than hell. And he had a beer. He said. Hello, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you like a sip of beer? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, and that was the flattest, hottest <laughs> beer I ever tasted in my <laughs> life. So Billy Joe climbed up to just do that. that just, to him. Do you know, Aaron, do you Hell, know this he got Billy away Joe? With, uh, I've heard of it. He got away with self-protection. So Billy Joe was at a, was at a bar there in Waco, and the story goes. It's in the papers that he was threatened and the good part of the story is he lived well he pulled his first and asked the old boy that he shot in the face he asked where do you want it where do you want to feel the pain holy shit and pulled the pistol shot the guy in the face and the guy didn't off. answer i don't believe <laughs> he was sure the, in the, the, face. Slow, the slow answer <laughs> he got was it said right. in the big toe <laughs> <laughs> so i he, think he beat him to the draw yeah. in both situations where but, do you want it where do you, you want know to we laugh we laugh and everything but that was a real life case of uh one of texas finest legends mm-hmm. protecting himself with his legal weapon yeah you bet. Them legal yeah. weapons go a long way. Yeah. They well, go. you know, uh, there's a rab- rabbit hole for you. Which one do you want? To- <laughs> We've been down a rabbit hole or two on here. You, we got more, you got any more about me before I go off and tell people what I believe? That's why I got off Facebook is I almost said some stuff that I believe. We're you know? open to anything here. If you want to run with it, let's run. Well, what do we got? What do we got something good? Here. Well, I, I, know, I know. Let's see here. We, I, uh. Let's see. What is the secret ingredient to good food? And what is the secret ingredient to great people? Food is much better place to start. And I've always considered that there's the center of the plate. And that's the part that costs the most per pound. So whether it's fish, beef, pork, salmon, vegetable, whatever it is, the key to great food 
is the delivery system, and that's the seasoning and the sauce. Mm. Now, I will throw back on the first part that proper temperature and time and surface of heat element are the other third key ingredient that's right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And most anyone can get fresh vegetables and fruit. So things don't have to be cooked to death to be a side item. Uh, I agree. I think that great corn on the grill is cleaning it well, wetting a paper towel, wrapping the paper towel around it, and then covering it with foil and putting it on the grill so you don't burn it to death with Mm -hmm. the cool-looking stalk on it. But there is good burn-to-death cool-looking stalk corn, too. Mm -hmm. You bet. So it's all about finished product. And when it comes to steaks, which I'm really curious about and intrigued in cooking a great one, Mm -hmm. I've cooked many of them for food for photography support for product display mm-hmm. and i can nail it and i know a friend of mine turned me on to something that works perfectly for a thick cut fillet six minutes on each side on the perfect flame whether it's grill or whatever and put a lid over it and don't look at the son bitch till you flip it mm-hmm. but it, it's always an element i looked i went to my cookbook that i wrote years ago how to cook a steak and I did it because I'd never seen anyone anywhere write how to cook a steak. Yeah. And in it, I referenced it yesterday because I'd listened to y'all's thing, and Joe had said, you know, it takes a little bit of freaking <laughs> effort to yeah. practice, practice and consistency. Mm-hmm. And I went, some bitch, I'm 69 years old, and I'm dicking around with wondering what the perfect one in a th- quarter to one and a half ribeye will be for me Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking two things seasoning maybe liquid on that and timing on perfect heat and i referred back to my cookbook and it said dad taught me everything about cooking a steak it's all about good heat and knowing what the timing is Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what your cooking surface is. It could be a flat top. It could be an yeah. iron skillet. It could be gas or charcoal or freaking mesquite. Yeah. A, a God forbid that I, we would give mesquite I, the flavor I'm to not, my steak. I, I'm not that guy. but I said that. God forbid we <laughs> do that. But, but it's all about time and heat. And I, I looked at it and it said 12 to 14 minutes for the perfect ribeye. I'm, wow. I'm going to try that, both those with two different seasonings so this next week. 12 to 14? So on the... Yeah, and now yeah. the other thing about that steak thing that I truly believe is don't ever turn it more than once per side. Yes. I mean, people beat them up turning yeah. them and thinking yeah. about it and overworking it, but if you can leave it on one side, you got grill marks going one way. If you do it in half time on both sides or at least the third, the second, the first side, then at least you've got grill marks going both ways, either cross or single, and you can pick mm-hmm. which way looks the best yeah. to put on the plate for a competition. You bet. So what I would tell you <laughs> I'm on done that, here. I'm done. <laughs> well, I would tell you to uh, to go ambient on the temperature of the steak. I would say, like right now. Start with 
Yeah, so right now it's 100 degrees. Room out. temperature. It's Sorry, yeah, but, ambient temperature. Yeah, so it's 100 degrees. Not 72. Out. You're sitting outside. Let it be 100. What's it going to hurt? You're going to go to 135 anyway. We're going to cook you know, the death I mean, out of it. You're going to go to 135 anyway. So if you have that steak and you get that steak to get up to a warm temperature, you're basically sous vide with the with mm-hmm. the heat. You, you, so it's an ambient temperature with not what well do you get grill marks with ambient temperature? You bet because you're going at five hundred degrees, five hundred. Thank you degrees. very much. And so you're only getting the sear though, Bill, if your meat is dry. So for I think there's probably one of our four listeners. Yeah, check this out. One of our four listeners is probably still soaking it in Italian dressing. Oh god. That's for Chuck Rose. <laughs> well, they're lubing this deal up. And so at that point you're steaming, not searing. Right. So if there's right, if there's right, moisture right. on the meat, you're forming a, a, a. I've been an advocate all my life to not do. Well, my mother's. My mother was the greatest entertainer and cook that you ever met in your life. Let me tell you a story about her. She passed away. A week before, two weeks before COVID, her timing was great. Mm-hmm. She was the hold them and fold them girl. And she always held her cards well. Yeah. When she moved to Jonesboro, Arkansas in 1952, the year before I was born, I had two siblings that were two and four, respectively. And she was 36, 24, 34. That's my kind of woman. <laughs> and she was five, eight, nine. Big girl. Pretty, beautiful, freaking gorgeous blonde. And she married my father when she was 18 and he was 36. Oh, shit. Uh That's where you got it from. He was. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy would be proud. Daddy would be proud. I've been wondering where you got that from. That's where you got it from. And my great granddaddy, too. (laughs) Granddaddy didn't do that. Y'all are closet Mormons. Oh, trust me. No, we just want a generation every 40 years, not every every 20. We think it holds the bloodlines longer, but short of that. my wife is beautiful. I, I lied to her once. I told her that she'd only be half my age once. And lo and behold, my birthday was in March. Hers was in July. It happened twice. It happened twice. But, but Dad was with Mom, and they'd moved to Jonesboro. He'd left being the assistant U.S. district attorney for Arkansas after World War II, being a counterintelligence super sleuth in the European theater war under Bradley. And he was very well confident of taking care of such things as family cases and a few insurance deals after that mm-hmm. and he was with his they ni- call that overqualified <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he was with his beautiful wife moving into jonesboro and uh this lady came up during the party had been going on and they were looking at her and they said she said oh it's so fine and wonderful to have your brilliant husband in the firm and we're just so glad that he's here y'all moved to jonesboro what on earth do you have in common? Oh, my mother pointed at the, my siblings running around. She said, "Will you see them?" She said, "Yeah." She said, "We like to do that." <laughs> <laughs> she owned that town from that minute forward, and she became she she learned everything there was about what fork goes where. Nobody would say she was the poor, good-looking country girl or whatever, and she learned how to. I mean, I tell you, you read some of her menus. There's one of them in the front of my cookbook that 
that she wrote in 1961 that would make any on-TV yeah. chef go, fucking A. Yeah. yeah. That chick had it down. That lady. That lady had it down. Yeah. I mean, she was, okay, you were talking about Burt Reynolds once, all right? Yeah. All right, well, Burt Reynolds was the first centerfold in Playgirl. And like Aaron, my, Aaron knew that. Makes sense. And my, my, mother, <laughs> my sense. mother was the chaperone for the majorettes, of which my sister was the head majorette and was a feature majorette at the University of Arkansas. Mm. And my mother had been a majorette, and she was the chaperone. They were down there in Little Rock. She kind of walked in when they were looking for Playgirl, and they went, oh, oh. she said, what is that? And, and they said, oh, well, here it is. And she, they opened it up to Burt Reynolds, and she looked at his non-fluff and says, what do I want that for? I got one like that at home. But that was, but she was a lady. She was a lady. Well, you know, he had to be camera ready. But that was my mother, and she, regardless of the tales I tell about her, they're edgy. Bless her heart. Uh, She was quite fine lady. We got ingredients to good food. Ingredients to good people. Great people. Oh, great people. Well, there you have it. Someone that can stand up their own ground, put their toes in the dirt, and be proud of what they say. Mm -hmm. I don't care if they come from any background. I consider myself the least prejudiced person in the world when it comes to great people. Mm -hmm. And that's simple. Yeah. I would say simple. So people. you said believe in what you say, right? I would turn that to telling the truth. Well, it better be the truth because you're not great people and you'll get knocked down a hundred times. And I know I jumped a step, but yeah, tell the truth, be the best you can be, and don't be so damn uh, arrogant. And if I could just, you know, I've noticed over the last few couple of years that I, I used to be the most open-minded person I ever dreamed of in my life. And I've become a little more closed-minded. I've become kind of prejudiced or something. And, and I was dealing with that in the last few days, especially after listening to you guys and some of your people. And also, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot. I've listened to probably 65 audio books in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And they go from uh, David Allen, I mean, from uh, Henry David Thoreau to... You Mark, almost Mark. said David Allen Coe, and that yeah. is probably well, that's not a joke. Because door. I was thinking the, the Ohio song you mentioned. Oh, boy, the worst song ever. The hell of it, because you mentioned it. No, uh, Thoreau and uh, Mark Twain, and well, I've listened to Thomas Sowell, and uh, I've listened to the Federalist Papers. I've listened to great, great writers. Red Badge of Courage, I mean, Short stories, poems by classics, you know, Burns. Mm -hmm. uh, Current things, too, a couple, uh, mostly about love of animals and uh, outdoor things. But I just think that that's what you got. That's what it's all about. Well, and so prejudice. Great people. Yeah, but you said said the word prejudice. And I I think that, believe it or not... the word prejudice is a is a forgotten word. Well, it, bigots another story. Okay, but when so we've got we've got gaps in age sitting around the table. So you got 69, 69 31 31 49. Okay. So we're we're stepping through different generations of man. 
sitting here at the table. When I was a boy, if someone said you were prejudiced, that meant that you were what currently is called racist. Racist. Okay? Yeah. The word prejudice at current is it's disappeared. There isn't even that word. I'm glad you went I'm glad you went there. Be, be quiet. Well, no, I you, and you can speak up at any time, but I'm just saying that's a word to me, if I was going to line the two words up side by side, prejudice and racist, well, put race, big, ra- put, put bigot in between. Okay, and and bigot's one that mm-hmm. it's gone too. But if I was to put prejudice and racist side by side, which word sounds angrier? The racist word sounds angrier. So that's the word that we're going to want to showcase. That's the word that shows hate, division, mm-hmm. shows all the separation that they desire. Yeah. To keep us apart as a society so that way we could be manipulated, Bill. And, and you know, in this room there's several red, white, and blue flags. Uh, this flag right here has got the name of everybody from 9-11 on it. There's, uh, there's the one over there that we celebrated when we whooped the red coats yep. on, on the wall. There's, there's the current version is straight above Bill's head, right? And so there's all kinds of American flags in my house. I'm a patriot. Well, at my house right now, we have the Arkansas flag out. We have the American flag out. The American flag's a little bit higher than it. They're on our front porch. And we also have some banners on the side. And we just spoke about it today and said, we're going to leave these up a little longer than we usually do at 4th of July. Man, I think it's, I I mean, think I it's just, important. I consider myself a patriot. And I heard you, maybe someone else, talk about the difference in proud and pride and uh, you know, supremacy or and, and and patriot, and I don't think that anybody that I know of had as good of a unique education that wasn't pr- privileged in a sense of sent somewhere or programmed. It was random in my time then, and. We can be patriots to the effort and the vision and the hope and the incredibly fragile words that were put in place in our Declaration of Independence. And we could start with life, those inalienable rights. Life. Now, I know that when I was... 19, 20 years old, a beautiful lady that I will always call my friend, we thought we got pregnant. And I'm not proud of it. A couple of things I'm not real proud of, but my first comment was, how about 200 bucks at all it costs for an abortion? I did that. Yeah. I am not proud of that as a man or a good person mm-hmm. personally on what you asked me about what makes a good person or whatever that's one of my I know that when I saw her eyes that that disappointed her yeah she was disappointed in you as a man correct mm-hmm. because you because from what I know I wanted to escape that concept bet. because the woman holds the most burden no, because I was a wild ass son yeah, bitch. Yeah. You look at that list of stuff there, yeah, uh, yeah. And hadn't done anything yet, and thought, holy moly, nobody this. can keep up with me. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to? Someone once said. And 
I was fast and yeah, hard. But... I was obviously hard and fast <laughs> and There's and some moving. pills over there that could help. Well, at this age, you know, I was trying to stick with all those concepts of modern science. But no, but, you know, but, but when but you anyway, talk, you get the point. Yeah, and so Bill, I've, I've got a I've got a similar story. Well, let, let me ask. That, so uh, let me get to this look because you probably both have the look. So whenever shame or what? No, I think that because a man's job is to protect and to support, to feed, to mm-hmm. do all of these things, and it's also to nurture and everything mm-hmm. else. But the woman, she holds liability, and and when you had sex with that woman. You could get up tomorrow and go fuck around with with Jerry Jeff Walker if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But what she had was she had the re- responsibility for nine months. The bottom she, line was she did not she was not pregnant. Okay, yeah, but but yes. But to she, your point, she was going to hold the responsibility, and us as men, it may have evolved differently mm-hmm. from that. It's more. It's a hundred percent guarantee. That it could have changed her life and not changed yours. That's true. But I guarantee you, I think I would have dug a little deeper from what my father and mother really gave me, that if we'd gotten farther in this conversation, it might have, it might have changed. Uh, you know, but that is a justification, a balance mm-hmm. of, of I'm okay or I'm not really an asshole or yeah. maybe whatever. But we did remain very, very, very good close friends all of our lives to, to any degree what do you have Aaron <laughs> uh, similar scenario that went a little bit deeper anyways I don't know well you know uh, I guess that you uh, have learned to deal with that yeah uh, and balance it out somehow or another I hope all parties are we are healthy individuals yeah everybody's everybody's okay it's just uh man i well you know I, I don't know i've never been in a situation like this where a couple of three guys sit around and known each other a while and i mean i just met you Aaron. I, yeah i referred to you as double a i'm hoping it kind of sticks because my wife called one of our best fishing guys double a his I, name was aaron he used to i get it often he, he used to give uh bear hunting trips in maine and he still does probably and he does down to Key West fishing things these mm-hmm. days and hell of a guy she just ended up calling him double A and I couldn't help but use the reference earlier yeah it came uh, from her show I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you I, I can go either way I mean I can respect your name or just nickname you yeah whatever <laughs> you can call me whatever the hell you want well it's a gas but I, I haven't been in a situation like this before I've I listened to quite a few podcasts uh I listen to some off the wall stuff. Yeah, uh, me too. Something called No Agenda. I love yeah. No Agenda I down there, and yeah. fucking one one idiot from Silicon Valley, and one wild man from the hill country in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got hey. I I got turned on to No Agenda from a buddy of mine who was a world traveler, and uh, the No Agenda podcast is it's simply a deconstruction of the media, right, Bill? That's correct, but they do have a perspective of their own. I mean, you can't take away that. And, and I love it because it's mostly arrogant. Well, yeah, but it's, it's a deconstruction. It's a good deal. And, and Aaron and I set off with a pretty in-the-middle political 
podcast. Well, it was going to bring together good stories, humans, mm-hmm. uh, try to find people who showcase how how they are human because humans are flawed, and we have different outlooks. And uh, you know, I told a story one day that if we all got along we would all just be in one little spot in Africa, but we decided we hated each other, and so we yeah. kept on traveling around. That's right. <laughs> I don't know how the sands of the earth are all different colors, and so are people, <laughs> yeah. but there are different places in the world. You know, there's pink ones, and there's yeah. black ones, and there's white ones, and there's, hell, there's there's sand of color that's you bet. brown or gray or whatever. And uh, You know, you wonder how that works, but basically it doesn't really make shit. I mean, uh, it's the... You know, we're like a bunch of ants, but we're humans. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, we spread all over the world. One of the things that I, I take a lot of pride in and privilege of, of being able to have is the ability that this is a changing place. Northwest Arkansas is a changing place. It's probably changing. It's It's got the most erosion in the country. Uh, mm. It's, uh, you know, the Ozarks were formed from erosion that's one big plateau with gullies in it right well my mom my grandmother said that there was this island called lenoria in the gulf of mexico and this earthquake thing happened and it sunk and the ozarks were pushed up well that may have happened but you know i don't know i mean <laughs> that, I'm not that, that may my, that, my cousin's an archaeologist <laughs> we could refer to him that, but. that may have happened but so the, the ozarks were formed from wind fire and rain and erosion and it caused big gullies it it changed the landscape and currently politics bicycles food culture and art mm-hmm. is causing new gullies it's it's changing what it was 20 years ago hell bill it's changing what it was three years ago and what that brings to us is the ability to meet people from faraway places who may not be like-minded, but we're sharing the same yard. We got about the most diverse group of folks in a old place that are gathering currently. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I seen in Bella Vista they got 08 percent of black people. Point. Well, that's diverse. That's diverse. <laughs> well, we're you know Bella Vista's kind of taking it to a to a Cooper property level of the fifties, you know. So that's a little bit. Dragging it back, that, but with that do downtown said, Bentonville Farmers Market. Or oh something, yeah, no, but. we're we're a diverse deal, and and out of all reality, it's it's a healthier environment for boy half the people. Two of our four listeners are gonna hate me for saying this, but it is it's a healthier environment because when I was a kid, the Cosbys was the black folks. Okay. And the Jeffersons. And the Jeffersons were the black folks. And I had no real world experience around other colors. And uh, and with that said, it's it's healthy. I think first I think the media tries to throw out hate. But I think that if you're never around something, I truly don't know how you can hate it. It's the exposure. You well, know what I mean? It's I, the exposure uh, that's creating some growth. Let me throw some, some real level around it. You've got some level? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the luckiest guy I was ever born in Helena, Arkansas in 1953. I've cooked there. Now, let me tell you, it's a great, great little piece of history. Mm-hmm. It's got Civil War history. It's got more 
cool shows back in the 1860s and 70s and 90s and 19 early 1900s in Atlanta, from Atlanta than Memphis had for a while. Mm. It was Port City. It was as far as 18th and 19th century boats could go up the Mississippi River. And people gathered around there from everywhere for farmers markets and things. There was gambling there like there was in Hot Springs. There was a place off of Cherry Street that had one-armed bandits, you know. And I was born in the hospital that was beat, built by the the local city officials and people that did a deal with the Dixie Mafia that if they could have their slot machines there they could build them a freaking hospital I was born in that hospital my dad chose me to be born in that hospital because his Kaposig brother that he trusted uh, knew his family better than when I told the story about my brothers and sisters in 52 and that they cared about my mom and the prognosis was that child and mother may die mm -hmm. and they went to the hospital that was built by the one-armed bandits with a, a guy that was an old smart son of a bitch there were there were two counterintelligence corps guys out of 431 that were from helena and there were three counterintelligence guys from 431 in the whole world in the in the pacific and the european theater war that lived in jonesboro arkansas one of them was a judge and two of them were lawyers well, my dad was one of them and let me tell you there were some smart son of a bitches and my dad my grandmother and aunt taught latin we don't teach latin mm -hmm. do you know that alexander hamilton had to prove to harvard that he spoke latin greek and French before they would let him in. That was when it was a British university, before it was an American university. And you had to be a smart son of a gun. You can say son of a bitch. My you son. had to be a smart son of a bitch. I mean, yeah. I was a, they asked me if I was a Somme, you know, a Psalm. Yeah. I said I was a Psalm before Psalm was popular. I'm a Psalm bitch. <laughs> I'm a Psalm yeah. bitch. And I know some more. I'm going to tell you that I'm a big fan of salami myself. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I like smoked mule dick, too. But. No, well, I'm not much on the mule dick. Mule no, dick. it's called bologna. Oh, yeah, call that's Louisiana round steak. They call it a mule dick. That's but. Louisiana round steak. But, you know, I ain't ever seen a man's ass either. Well, <laughs> and and, Eric, I, and Eric, I got a, I got a oh, sack fuck. down here. But what do y'all want to talk about? What's this monk thing? Uh, oh, sure. My daughter just stepped in. When you get done eating them pot stickers, could you uh, go to the freezer, grab the muck tuck? Oh, now, I hear it's something to do with a whale. Shit. Grab the muck tuck, a cutting Yeah, board. Bill. Is it already cooked, Bill? Oh, no. yeah, yeah, Alaskan style. Yeah. Grab the muck Inside tuck. Inside the whale. Yeah, it's a one Ritz cracker is all we need. So I've got a pin in front of me, and it's a, about a pin's length, and uh, one end is about five eighths, good half inch of skin, and then and it's a cube. It looks like it's what part of the whales it come from? I'm gonna say the back, the shitty tasting part. The part know. that tastes like turtle. <laughs> have, you, have you ever ate whale before? I have to say I've missed out on every case. By God, I'm glad you could come to the squirrel dairy today and have, have some well. And well, how do you hold on their little teats? <laughs> the, the squirrels yeah, or the whales? The, the, the squirrels. <laughs> whales ought to be figured out. But. The whales, you got to hold your breath. Yeah. Uh, the, the squirrels, you got to get a, you milk them when they're clump, coming down the trees so that way they don't scratch you. Because if they're, <laughs> if they're climbing up, then back legs are kind of ferocious. You need my Scotty. 
your Scotty dog. Yeah. That only dog time will I've not ever let a freaking squirrel around your teats. I only you. time I've ever played with a Scotty dog was in Monopoly. Well, I'll tell you what, that's one I always pick. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I had two. Uh, we had a bird dog that uh, his name was Duke. And he was the only bird dog that wasn't kenneled up. He was a lap dog and a bird dog. Mm. And that boy would go out and find quail. He took me hunting yeah. while my brother was in Vietnam. Oh, fucking shit. I mean, I'm telling you. Baby, you're going to have to grab a cutting But there was a Scotty, a really too. And Scotty, would, Scotty wouldn't oh, go hunting. He knew when we were going hunting, so he'd stay put. But we roamed all the woods and all the places a day. And I, now I got, I got another one, but... It is nothing like that right there. <laughs> no, that so is much. That looks. This is looks, a spam of the sea. It looks like cheese with Joe. a big old moldy black top. No, on that it. black top is the part that the harpoon had to penetrate. That's the skin. Oh, that's the blood version. That's the skin. That's just. The oh, skin. that's the skin. Yep. You Go ahead and eat that. We haven't it. tried the skin. We're For trying. future guests, you can come on this podcast. Well, this and ain't not frozen solid rock. You know, I like to defer my momentarily no, online no, no, eating of the. We can let it get a little ambient temperature. Yeah. Well, you know, you, we somebody might have to slice that or something. Huh? It, you can. it looked like about. I mean, in case you're listening, all four oh, of you. Joe's I hear there's four now, it. but in case you're listening. Uh, <laughs> This thing looks like a chunk of cheddar cheese with <laughs> with a bad black top on it. I mean, oh man, when no. I when I think mm. muck tuck, couldn't be right. I'm gonna just. Oh, you're doing it. Oh, that's good. I oh, like that. uh, that's probably plenty. <laughs> okay, that's he, more than plenty. He sliced off a sliver of it. That Put that looked, shit back. He, he's getting me a Ritz cracker. Out. He's getting me a Ritz cracker. When uh, my first oyster, I had to have on a Ritz cracker with a little bit of ketchup on it i'm sure but my dad ate, my dad ate his first oyster three times did he now <laughs> it, it must have been a, a gulf oyster it, it finally got small enough he could swallow it i like those northeast uh oh, atlantic geez. oysters Jesus i mean if you want to talk food dude. stuff again i mean like <laughs> raspberry is, island and uh, bill this is you know, anywhere a, north of chesapeake bay this is such a high-end product right i here. mean i don't know why you have that can you tell me that <laughs> before i eat it why because, do you have it? Is it just for I'm, challenges? No, I, I've got it because Eskimos love me. And uh, you met a few. I've Can met you a put few. That shit Did they take you uh, <laughs> ice fishing or anything, or show you uh, an igloo? Or man, they have, they got a they got a big old bear rug in there. They let them catch some massive massive fish. You see that halibut up there on the wall? Yeah, hell, I thought it was. A, a, an angel. Yeah, it's it was. So There's huge. like arms coming off. Of All right, Bill. Uh, <laughs> so what we're gonna do is is we're gonna go part two on this. Okay. With Bill Walker. I don't care. Yeah, yeah we're gonna do part two with Bill Walker. We're damn near an hour in. Well, gonna, I hope we focus on war. We're gonna talk about a little yeah. bit. We're gonna talk and, about war. And, yep. and maybe maybe. Uh, but what we're gonna do is is we're gonna ease on out with the with a good devouring of this muck tuck. And then, because right. uh, you know, me and me and Aaron are biased. You're what not I, prejudiced. You're not. just biased. That's before prejudice and bigoted. Yeah, yeah. you're biased. Everybody's biased, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got to get them in order. So I'm gonna have I you eat you, the muck tuck. We'll end this one with. We'll just ask you if you've seen your butthole after you chew this up real good, and then on part two we'll go into Bill's feet. Yep. We'll talk about some war stories. Yep. Bill's got. We'll probably. Uh, I, I think stick around because, you know, Bill's 
he's kind of like a historian. We're sitting here looking at his book called Nazis Nightmares. People have told me I can have a more a, a more Written. airport friendly name on it. Written by William G. Walker. Yeah. Well, there's a technicality involved that is there. Bill. You know what the technicality is, Aaron? Huh? In uh, law, and then, you know, you can publish something and call it your own if you take it, something your ancestors wrote mm. and change it into a dis- different artistic form. Okay. And you can claim to be the writer. Oh. And I would have to admit, I only wrote the forward and two poems of that. But every word comes from more than 2,000 letters my father wrote home to his wife in World War II. Holy shit. And 1,500 military documents, including a daily journal of every day of World War II from a counterintelligence special agent perspective. And at the very beginning of the war, they were put in charge of everything, intelligence and security, to set up Operation Overlord. And at the end of the war... They were in charge of everything. SS Bill, and Gestapo. I'm going to cut That's you it. off there. This is the cliffhanger. SS Gestapo. <laughs> Come back for part two. Oh, with, oh we're not in With no. Bill. Right. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean run on. No, no. I can't wait so to I hear got, it, Bill. Whoa, 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 I Bill, I'm going to serve it to you. I can't for wait the royal to hear TR Because this is a Quasinart cut. I got some wash it down bourbon here. We got yeah. some. Make sure you taste it. That's that wise man bourbon. Now, this is muck tuck. A, 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 Take got, a picture of it. It's on a Ritz cracker. This okay, is uh, with some bourbon. Just, Beluga whale. I'm gonna take Beluga. Uh, Beluga whale. Beluga whale. That's uh, so the people can see it's it. It's as good uh, as it gets. See. I thought Beluga yeah. brought caviar. Well, this is but this is the, whale. Go ahead, feed the family. That's pretty shitty. <laughs> Chewy. Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> like a rawhide. Yeah. Wet rawhide. Yeah, it's fucking. Do you get any fishiness out of it? It doesn't taste bad at all. I think it's frozen is where you're supposed to go. It yeah, doesn't taste bad at all. Yeah. You breathe is it. that the salt from a Ritz cracker? I know. That's not. what I said. The greatest thing was the salt from Ritz cracker. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Mm, I was good. expecting something did revolting. You, did you get some fishy taste out of it? Not particularly. I no. think the difference is how no. I cut it and how you cut it. Not particularly. <laughs> uh, you cut both of them. It's kind of got some kind of underlying savory thing going on. That. Uh, That's the mercury. Well, <laughs> you know, I guarantee you one thing. There is no kid that's been exposed to more bad shit than me. I don't still know, alive. Bill. I grew up with split Woo. shots. We used to wash dimes with mercury with our fingers. Good Lord. Yeah, how hot is it in here? <laughs> they called that man the Mad Hatter. I think we should probably have a what's that called again? Muck Muck Tuck. Muck, Muck Tuck whiskey pairing. Oh god. Oh shit. Well we got three bottles right now. Yeah, well and uh it takes several muck tucks to figure out which yeah. whiskey you like I think the most. We need to dumb down the cracker. By the time you get done with it. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. That's Bill. the first whale I ever had in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's the only one I've ever been around. I'm going to say this, folks. I know that Bill just made me look like half a man. Yeah, Joe's depressed. And, uh. Because I ate it? Yeah. Joe threw it up. You guys hadn't done it yet? No, I ate it. He ate it. I, <laughs> I coughed but it up. It's because it. of our bad experiences <laughs> yeah. that we were talking about earlier yeah. that we could We've been choke that yeah. down. <laughs> this is from a guy who's never hallucinated. <laughs> it is a really, <laughs> it's a really horrible, that is the horrible denominator. thing. 
I threw it up in that gray bucket. Really, you threw it up? Well, yeah. I did. I projected. You pussy. It. Yeah, Bill, I think he psyched himself out. But I will tell you this: for the next three days, when your guts are boiling and you got the flying <laughs> axe handles and shit, well, shitting all over the like place, it's like you're running on ethanol. As long as it doesn't happen every month or every twenty-eight days, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's I'm just a, it's the the prior or the next three days. I. Well. I had. I'm about I, to get over that COVID. Yeah, that yeah. shit she just had is gonna keep the mon- okay. monkeypox three yards from it. <laughs> <Monkey Well, pox. laughs> There's a lot of other things keep that farther from me. <laughs> yeah, right. Trust All me. right, folks. So that's right. episode nine. Nine. We're part signing off. One. First live in the studio. Yeah, yeah love it. With Can't Bill take Walker. away first. Love we it. we learned a lot about Jerry Jeff Walker, Texas music. We we discussed. Uh, Frank Wood. Uh, Frank Wood. We we discussed Helena. Cocaine. Cocaine. Lots of cocaine. Frank yes. Broyles. Bill Clinton. Uh, we we we've tr- touched on a few points. Yeah. We and, uh, are. God be, knows. We're glad to. And we're going to snag a few here coming back. We're gonna, we're going to come to a little history lesson. I think. I think so. And and I'm I'll just be it. aware of black helicopters and suicide. Okay. And arrogant some bitches. There, there you go. All right, we're signing out. Catch you soon.